Do you remember when you used to get together with other people? Feels like years ago. I feel like the last six weeks have been so slow. I I always tell people that uh, the slowest six weeks of my life were when our twins were born. And we were, you know, long days. And then you're just getting up multiple times throughout the night, feeding and changing two babies. It just felt like those first six weeks went so slow. I feel like the last six weeks are a close second uh, in my life. It, it feels like it's been six years since we were together at North Point Elementary. And I imagine that many of you are kind of feeling the same way, and you're missing your church family, but you're missing your friends, and you're missing your own families that you haven't seen. And it feels like it's been forever, and I imagine that you're itching to just get out and see many of them. You know, even if you don't usually have people over at your house all that often, I bet many of you are even desiring just to have people over, to be in community with people. And today, as we continue our study in the book of Luke in the Bible, we're going to read a passage about hospitality, about being social with other people. And you're going to find this passage is actually pretty countercultural, and so it's going to challenge a lot of our assumptions about of being social and hanging out with other people. And so what I want you to do is I want you to see this as an opportunity for a social do-over. When we return uh, back to normal, it'll be an opportunity for us to do our social life differently. And you can use this as an opportunity to start a new chapter. So let's check out what Jesus has to say on this. What we're going to do is we're going to take a a kind of a larger passage and we're going to divide it into three different parts. So we're in Luke chapter 14, starting right at verse 1 says this. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There, in front of him, was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So, taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child, or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Okay, so the setting here is Jesus is at uh, basically a dinner party at the home of a prominent a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were strict observers of the Old Testament, of uh, the Jewish Bible. But the problem was they had added hundreds of extra rules, laws, to the Bible, and they had their own set of rules, particularly that a ton about what you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath, the day of rest. Now, it's kind of interesting here because this is actually the third time already in Luke that Jesus has healed somebody on the Sabbath. So, Jesus, in uh, Luke chapter 6, he heals a man who had a shriveled hand. Uh, We did a message on this called the pull of legalism, uh, if you want to look this up on our website or uh, on our app. Uh, Back in February, so just a couple months ago, uh, Luke chapter 13, in a message called All Tied Up, Jesus again healed on the Sabbath. Uh, If you remember, there was a woman who uh, basically she was unable to stand up straight, and she had been in that condition for 18 years, and Jesus heals her on the Sabbath. So now it's Luke chapter 14, and Jesus heals another person on the Sabbath, and the religious people are just indignant. This is a common, common theme in the Gospels. And so we're not going to spend quite as much time on the topic of Jesus healing on the Sabbath today because we've already covered it in two different messages. Instead, I I really want us to focus on Jesus' teachings about our social life, and that's going to play into a pretty large topic as this chapter sort of progresses. 
In fact, what I want to do is I want to give you three ways that Jesus wants us to have a social do-over when this is all over. Uh, three ways that you can think of now about how you can actually get together with people and what that should look like. So the first one comes out of the section we just read, and here it is. The first principle is this. Reprioritize your schedule. Well, think about how important Jesus' time was. Okay, Jesus is only on earth for 33 years. In fact, his public ministry when he was out teaching and doing miracles, that only lasted for three years. So if you were Jesus and you only had three years to get the word out, the prioritization of your schedule is incredibly important, right? And so this is a good question even for you because you only have a limited amount of time, right? How long do you have on earth? Well, first of all, you don't even know, right? But if you had to guess, you guess like life expectancy, right? You say, well, maybe I have 78 years. Well, for many of you, much of that time is already gone. You maybe have 20 years left or 40 years left. Okay, so what's, what's the purpose of your life? Well, biblically, we'd say, well, the purpose of my life is to glorify God, is to help others know about Jesus. Well, if that's the purpose of your life and you have a limited amount of time, then how will you prioritize your time? Well, we want to look like Jesus, right? So if you read through the Gospels, you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read through with this question in mind, how would you say that Jesus prioritizes his time? You know, this is, this is simplistic, but we would probably say like, well, he really puts a high priority on spending time with his father in heaven, and he puts a priority on spending time with others. He's incredibly social, if you think about it. And really, our lives should look the same. See, this coronavirus season of life, I think, is a bit like halftime for many of us. And halftime in sporting event is a good time to press pause and you make adjustments for the second half, right? For the coming seasons of life. And a lot of us, I think some of the main adjustments that we need to make when life comes back to normal is we need to reprioritize our schedule, right? Because for a lot of us, our schedule doesn't look all that much like Jesus's schedule. Like maybe you spend some time with your father in heaven. For some of you, that needs to be more of a priority. Getting in church, being in house groups, all of those things. But for a lot of us, where the stress really is in this passage, is many modern-day Americans spend little or no time with people anymore. I mean, hospitality has all but died in the Midwest. Like, our grandmothers and great-grandmothers would be shocked at how little we spend time with other people. Right? We spend all of our extra time on ourselves. As I share with you, I feel like every other month, I think the, the most important study that came out maybe in the last year was a Nielsen study that said Americans now spend 50 of our 58 hours of free time every week entertaining ourselves. And those extra hours we have, we spend on our hobbies, right? Sort of gratifying ourselves, making sure we're okay. When halftime is over and life starts up again and you get a social do-over, Commit to becoming more social, like Jesus. Because people need you. And you need people. You weren't meant to thrive in isolation. All right, let's keep reading because there's, uh, there's more for us to see here when it's time for us to start a do-over on our social life. So we're in verse 7 now of chapter 14. It says, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. 
Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So here's the second principle. So the three principles for a social do-over when this all goes back. We all get back to normal life, right? The second principle is this. Sit at the foot of the table. So now Jesus, in the passage, he's turning and he's speaking to the guests who are at this dinner party. And he notices that they're all trying to sit in the most important seat that they can, or closest to the most important seat, which in those days would have been towards the head of the table. But he warns them, this is not a good strategy. Like This could completely backfire on you. If you go and you sit in this really important seat, and then someone more important than you comes, then the host is going to have to awkwardly come up to you and say, excuse me, uh, ma'am, sir... Uh, I'm going to need you to move down here more towards the foot of the table. And then you're going to have to do that in front of everybody. He's just teaching us that if you're exalting yourself, then we're going to be humbled. But as Christ followers, we should sit at the foot of the table. We should sit in the least important spots. And this ought to characterize our daily lives as Christians. When you're out with friends, for instance, and everyone's trying to decide what to do, as a Christian, let someone else have their preference instead of you. Uh, when you're eating dinner with your family and there are only four rolls left and one of them looks like kind of awkward, weird, or messed up, or not as good, eat that one, right? When you, you're in the, going to the checkout line at the store and you're coming at the exact same time as another person, as a Christ follower, let them go first, of course, six feet away, right? Now, those are all like really, really simple examples they're ones that, honestly, most people probably wouldn't even notice. But what happens is, what you do in the small things, you will eventually do in the big things. And when you sit at the foot of the table, and you take the least important position as a Christian, a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to show that you are content in all things. You don't need that to feel satisfied, to feel secure, to feel content. And also, when you sit at the foot of the table, you model Christ. You imitate Christ. Okay, what was Jesus deserving of? Jesus is deserving of sitting on his amazing royal throne in heaven forever. And yet, Jesus comes and he sits at the foot of the table of earth. Right? He should have been on the throne, and yet he comes and sits by being born in a dirty manger. By dying on a bloody cross. Right? He lived his entire life considering others as more important than himself. By the way, that, that, all of that is basically the entire teaching of Philippians chapter 2, which I urge you to read. And this is sort of a different social skill than most of us are accustomed to in our American culture. Because in our culture, most of our lives seem to be aimed at promoting ourselves. Right? Whether that's on social media or you're trying really hard to get noticed so you can kind of advance socially or so maybe you can advance in your career. We live in a culture of self-promotion. It's a culture where it's normal. It's maybe even encouraged to do whatever you can to seat yourself at the most important seats so that you can kind of advance in life. But heed the words of Jesus here. If you continue to exalt yourself in front of others, you will be humbled. And then you're going to have to walk 
to the foot of the table in front of everybody else, socially. Humble yourself, socially. Keep choosing the foot of the table. If you do that, God will lift you up. I mean, trust the word of God here over what's normal in the culture. All right, we're gonna move to the third and final section of the passage. This is, by the way, probably the most challenging part of the passage. So we're verse 12 now. It says, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Uh, this is a major challenge to the social fabric of how we do things in America. And even how a lot of people do things in our sort of stratified cultures all around the world. And here's the third principle when we get a chance to do a social do-over. It's this, number three, invite those who can't pay you back. Now, this is not only a teaching of Jesus, but this is something that he lived out all the time through his life. And yet, I know, even though this is such a prominent example of how Jesus lived, I know relatively few Christians, Christians, those who say that we are imitators of Jesus Christ in his life, I know relatively few Christians that live by this principle. And maybe it's because this principle rubs so hard against the grain of our sinful nature. And it does so for a couple of reasons. And let's talk about that because that, maybe that'll help us understand why this is so hard for us to imitate Jesus in. When we get together with people, you're just hanging out with friends, we sort of naturally, we want to get together with people who are going to make us feel better, who are going to bring joy to our lives. People like our friends and our family. And when you think about uh, people who wouldn't naturally bring you as much joy, maybe people who don't have a lot of friends or uh, those who aren't as socially adept as you are. Our first inclination is we think, well, I don't really want to invite over that awkward person um, from work or the person from the neighborhood that's kind of strange or that one person from my house group. And we say, I don't want to do that because it just wouldn't be that much fun. And honestly, it'd be draining and it would be hard work. And so we don't. We don't invite them. And another reason that we struggle to fulfill this passage is we also tend to avoid people who we have deemed are lower on the social ladder than us. And we avoid them quite often because we know that they can't help us. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, all right, you, you guys are inviting over your friends and your rich neighbor because you know that they're going to repay you. Like, this, is, this is what psychologists call the law of reciprocity. When humans are kind to one another, they invite one another over, give them a gift, with something inside of us feels like, I need to do that back for the other person, right? And if someone invites over their powerful or rich friend or serves them, in part, we do it subconsciously because we think, well, then they're gonna help me out. Yeah, I, I've struggled with this my whole life. You're, you're gonna think uh, less of me when I tell you this, uh, that's okay, uh, I'm a sinner, but here's the deal. I always notice this in my life, and I particularly notice this one sinful inclination uh, if I'm at like a, a pastor's gathering or a pastor's conference. And immediately, what I just naturally go to is I'm looking for who's the guy that can help me? 
Who's the guy with the large church, the pastor with the large church in this room that's an influencer? Who's the guy I could learn from, that I could benefit from? And then I don't pay much attention at all to the guy who's maybe pastoring a church of 40 people or 50 people because I think, oh, I don't know if I could learn as much from that guy. I'm looking for this guy. How awful is that, right? That's our sin at work. Well, what's it driven by? It's driven by selfishness. It's driven by self-advancement, self, self, self. And in this passage, Jesus is clearly teaching us that we need a social do-over if we're going to be imitators of him. As Christians, our interactions with people can't be driven by self-promotion and self-advancement and self-fulfillment. We are called as Christians to deny ourselves and instead live for Jesus and for other people. And so when you get a chance, whenever it happens, right? (laughs) Whenever we sort of get out of the stage and you get a chance to do a social do-over, here's some practical ways that you can look more like Jesus, live more like how Jesus lived. Like, what about inviting over to your house of the neighbors in your neighborhood whom nobody really knows? And what about inviting your whole small group to get together and hang out and do something rather than just a few people that you know really well? Or what about calling a random relative, like the relative that nobody checks in on that often, just checking in on them and see how they're doing? I mean, you can teach your kids even to begin acting like Jesus in this. Ask your kids, say, who is the kid at school that nobody sits by at lunch? Say, what if we invited them to hang out with you and your friends this weekend? Or I'm talking in the future, not this weekend. But we can, we can learn to do this. And I get that this feels uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable talking about it. But this is what Jesus would be doing if he were on our earth right now. And we say all the time that we want to be like Christ. So let's do it. And listen, if you start walking this out, you're going to find that what Jesus says is true. It is better to give than to receive, right? You spent all this time the last month or so just like pouring into ourselves, endless entertainment. It's just, it's not life-giving. It's better to give than to receive. And if we're going to do this, if you're actually going to do this and get yourself to do this, you've got to go back to the gospel that Jesus died for you. You're you're not going to motivate yourself to do this just by uh, telling yourself it's the right thing to do. Like, there's a lot of biblical teaching, or I would say non-biblical teaching, that you hear in churches or blogs that is really just moralism. It's saying, you should, you oughta. That's not how we motivate ourselves to do things as Christians. Because if all your social interactions and the motivation for your social interactions is just based on, uh, I should, or it's based on, if I help this person, they'll help me, the law of reciprocity. If that's true, <laughs> you need to ask yourself as a Christian, What if God would have treated you that way? What if God would have socially treated you as you treat other people? What if God would have said, I'll give back to you what you deserve. I will give back to you what you have given me. What would you have gotten from him? Nothing. Hell? And yet, we don't, I mean, we don't deserve anything. What have we done? And yet, think about this. Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy One, the Savior, the Perfect One, He looked at you. And by the way, you, to Jesus, you are the social outcast. You're not the cool kid, right, that everyone's trying to... Jesus has seen all of your dirty laundry, right? And He has every right to look at your life and go like, I'm just, I just, 
Ain't nobody got time for that. I don't really need to hang around with that person. We're the social outcast to Jesus. And yet, he invites you in and he loves you. And shockingly, the Bible even says he calls you friend. And so, when we get a chance for a social do-over and we get to hang out with people again, I pray that we do it differently. I pray we do it with some humility. And I pray that we see people as Jesus sees people. Let me pray for just that. Lord, we just ask, as we get a chance to just have a social do-over, that you would give us your eyes and give us your heart. Help us see people the way you see people. Amen.